This morning I speak on the subject, Give God the Best. Give God the Best. We read a moment ago from the book of Malachi. The name Malachi means my messenger. And the book of Malachi was written about a hundred years after the events that we read about in the book of Ezra and Nehemiah. And and again, I just want to set the stage for my message this morning. Uh, Israel had turned its back on God. Uh, They had worshipped idols. They had worshipped false gods. They had ignored God, ignored God's law. And so as punishment uh, for his people, and by the way, God sent plenty of warning to his people. He sent plenty of warning that judgment was coming, and if they'd repent and turn back to him, he'd call off the punishment. But they didn't, and so he sent the Babylonians, and the nation of Israel went into captivity for 70 years to pay for their sins. After 70 years in captivity, they began to turn back to God, and God began to release them uh, to go back uh, to Jerusalem. The first group was led by a man by the name of Zerubbabel, who was a governor, and Joshua, who was a high priest. And that first group came back and rebuilt the temple in Jerusalem that the Babylonians had destroyed. The second group came back led by Ezra. Ezra was a prophet of the law, and Ezra began to get the people grounded in the word of God again. He read the Bible to them. He taught the Bible to them. He interpreted the Bible for them. And then, of course, Nehemiah came back to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And while these leaders were on the scene, while Zerubbabel was there, and while Ezra was there, and while Nehemiah was there, it was a time of revival for the people of God. They turned back to God. They began to worship God. They began to respect his law. But now a hundred years have passed. A hundred years have passed since the temple had been rebuilt, since the walls had been rebuilt, and the people, again, had grown careless about the law. They'd gotten careless about the sacrifices that the law contained, that the law instructed them to make. And Malachi, as God's messenger, comes, and he starts where any people should start, uh, when they need revival, he starts by rebuking the spiritual leaders. He starts by rebuking the priest, the ones that should know better, uh, the ones that ought to be true to God, the ones that were in charge of the temple and the altar and the sacrifices. He says in his message uh, to the priest, he says, a son honors a father, a servant honors a master. I'm your father, and you haven't honored me. I'm your master, and you haven't feared me. In fact, you've done just the opposite. You've despised me. You've dishonored me. And uh, the priests, they come back to Malachi, and they ask the question, Wherein have we despised thy name? What do you mean, God? How have we dishonored you? And God says this, You've offered polluted bread on my altar. Uh, bread that was moldy, bread that was old. And the law said that you were not to offer polluted bread. The law says in the book of Leviticus, they shall be holy unto their God and not profane the name of their God. For the offerings of the Lord made by fire and the bread of their God they do offer, therefore they shall be holy. Instead of offering old, stale, molded bread to God, they needed to offer the fresh bread. The newly baked bread. 
He goes on. He says, the sacrifices that you've offered, they don't meet the requirements of the law. The law says that you should offer a sacrifice without blemish. Not a lame, not a blind, uh, not, not any blemish at all, but a sacrifice that is whole, a sacrifice that is, that is holy. Don't take the sick animals. Don't take the blind animals. Don't take the lame animals. Hey, if you wouldn't offer them to a governor, you wouldn't offer them to somebody that was a prominence that came into your home. You wouldn't try to feed them with old bread. You wouldn't try to feed them with sick animals. Why do you offer the old bread to me, God says? Why do you offer the sick animals uh, to me, God, God says? He goes on and he says in verse 10 uh, to, 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 to the priest, uh, you won't open the door of the temple unless somebody pays you. He says you won't, you won't do it for naught. You won't even open the house of God unless somebody pays you. You won't light the fire of the altar to burn the sacrifice on unless somebody pays you. Notice what he says, the last line of verse 10. I have no pleasure, pleasure in you, saith the Lord of hosts, neither will I accept an offering at your hand. And so we read this story, we hear this story, and, 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 and we think, here's what we think. How can these people be so blind? How can these people repeat the mistake that led to 70 years of captivity? The thing that led to the captivity is they'd taken God for granted. They'd offered the old bread. They'd offered the sick animals. And yet, and they went into captivity for 70 years. They paid the price for ignoring God, for disregarding God. And God had sent revival. God had restored them to their homeland. He'd restored the glory of Israel. And now, a hundred years later, they're doing the same thing. They're ignoring God. They're ignoring his law. They're offering bread and they're offering animals that dishonor God. And we hear that and we read that and we say, how can they be so foolish? How can they dishonor God in that way? And yet I wonder if we might not be guilty of the same crime. Have we given God our best? When it comes to us giving to God, do we give him the prize? Do we give him the top of the pile? Do we give God the very best that we have? Or do we give him the leftovers? The things that nobody else wants. This morning, I have a simple message. And I knew I was going to be short of time. And I always am on the Lord's Supper morning. And had a lot of announcements. And so I have a very simple message. But it has six points. And so you, you have to... Actually, it has five points. So you have to listen in a hurry. This morning, I want to encourage all of us to give God our best. Don't give him the leftovers. Don't give him uh, what nobody else wants. Let's give God from the very top of the pile. Let's give God our best. Number one, let's give him the best part of our life. Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 12.1, Remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth. And I say to the young people here, by the way, you're as young right now as you're ever going to be. Hey, you're as young right now as you're ever going to be the rest of your life. Brother Paul may be 100 years old uh, this week, but he's, as, he's younger now than he's ever going to be. And so when Solomon speaks to the youth, I submit to you he's speaking to all of us. 
not just the young in age, but he's speaking to the time of life that we're in now. Remember now the creator in the days of our youth. Let's give God first the, the, the best of our life. Let's give him our life now. Let's not say, as, as I've heard some young people say, well, I'm going to live for today. I'm going to enjoy my life for today. And when I get old, I'll give my life to God after I enjoy my life as a youth. I want to tell you something this morning. Uh, that's a mistake. First of all, you probably won't do it. If you're not going to serve God when you're young, you're probably not going to serve him when you get old. Statistics show that most people are saved before the age of 20. Now, I know there's people that are saved after the age of 20. Some of you here are probably saved after the age of 20. But if you look at all the statistics, the majority of people give their life to the Lord before they get 20. And the and, and second thing, I, I would tell you, I don't think this is fair to God. After God gave his very best for us. After God gave his only begotten son to go to the cross for us, why should we say, well, I'm going to live my life uh, as young as I am now. I'm going to live my life for myself. I'm going to enjoy the pleasures of the world for myself. And when I get old, like a person like me, when I get old as Brother Paul, when I get old, sorry, Brother Paul, it's your day in the bucket today. You're going to get picked on. Uh, But when I get old, then I'll give my life to the Lord. It won't happen. Give God your best. Don't wait till you get old to give God your best. I read a story of a Sunday school teacher that was dealing with a young girl in her class. And she was trying to convince that young girl to give her life to the Lord as a young person. And that young girl said to her Sunday school teacher, No, I'm going to live my life for myself while I'm young, and when I get old, I will give my life to God. Well, the Sunday school teacher left her, went home, and ordered her a bunch of flowers. And she was very specific to the florist. She says, I want some old, withered flowers, and I want you to send them to this girl. And so the, the florist did that. The next time the Sunday school teacher saw the young girl, the young girl said, Teacher, why did you send me old, withered flowers? And the Sunday school teacher said, Well, I thought you would like them. You said you were going to wait till you were old and withered to serve the Lord. And so I thought you would appreciate the flowers that you're giving to God. I thought you would appreciate them yourself. The story goes that the girl repented of her decision and she started to live for God as a youth and gave her life to the Lord. So give God the best part of your life. Number two, give God the best part of your day. The psalmist says in Psalm 63 verse 1, O God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee. Now, I know that the early part of the day is not the best part of the day for everybody. I know that some of you need your morning fix of coffee, and you need those extra 40 winks, and you just like to push the, the, the uh, snooze button 14 times before you get up. I just know that. But let me ask you, when's the best part of your day? When's the freshest part of your day? When's the part of your day that you feel most alert? When's the part of the day, your day that you feel most alive? For some, it may be early in the morning. For some, it may be at noon. For some, it may be uh, mid-afternoon. I encourage you, give God part of the best part of your day. 
Don't, don't, it, it, look, if you're a morning person and you're the most alive and fresh in the morning, that's when you ought to read your Bible. That's when you ought to spend time in prayer. That's when you ought to spend time communing with God. If you're a morning person, don't wait until you go to bed at 9.30 to take your Bible out and prop it up on your chest and read a verse and fall asleep. Don't wait till 9.30 at night to go to the Lord in prayer. God deserves better than that. Give him some of the best part of your day. If you're, if you're, if you're a mid-afternoon kind of person, give him that part of the day. If you're an early evening kind of person, it doesn't matter. Give God that part of your day. He deserves that. Give God our best. Number three, we need to give him the best part of our strength. In the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 9, verse 10, the Bible says, Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. If you're going to do something for God, give it your best. If you're going to do something for God, do it with all your might. Don't do it half-heartedly. Don't do it lackadaisically. If you're going to do something for God, work at it. Give them the best part of your strength. That verse in Revelation to the, uh, the letter to Laodicea, I think, applies to not only our feelings toward God and our love toward God, but in our work toward God. He said to that church, he wrote, uh, don't, don't be lukewarm. Either be, I'd rather you be hot and, and burn in your desire to serve me or be cold, have no desire to serve me at all, as opposed to being lukewarm. Don't be in the middle. Don't work half-heartedly for God. Give him the best of your strength. If you're going to do something for God, do it with all you got, all your might. Don't hold anything back. I was put to shame this morning. Frida told me that they canned till 3 o'clock this morning. They were dedicated to their task. I painted it a little bit yesterday, but I had to quit at 6 o'clock because I was tired. I told Frida, what an example. The best part of her strength, given, I guess, to canning, that's a good thing. Uh, But that's how God wants us to, to work. He wants us to give him the best part of our strength. Give God the best. Number four, give God the best part of your possessions. You know, I couldn't preach a sermon about giving God the best without mentioning this. And I don't preach on giving very much because we have a giving people around this place. We have a people that love to give. And again, I don't know who gives what. Only Angie knows who gives what. She doesn't tell me. She wouldn't tell me if I asked her. I've never asked her. And she wouldn't tell me if I asked her. I told her not to tell me. Because when, I, when the Lord leads me to preach about giving, I want to do it with complete freedom. So I'm not preaching at anybody this morning. I want to encourage us all to give God the best part of our possessions. You go on in the book of Malachi, you read over in the later chapters, and God begins to quit talking to the priest and talk to the people. He says, Ye are cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. But ye say, Wherein have we robbed thee? And God answers, In tithes and offerings. Many were tithing just like the priest were working the worship service. Many were tithing by giving God the leftovers, by giving him uh, what was left when everybody else uh, was taken care of. And many of us, many people tithe like that. We pay Mr. Credit Card, and we pay Mr. Bank, and we pay Mr. Grocery Store, and we pay everybody else, and then he's left over, we give that to God. That's not what the Bible says. 
The Bible says that God wants our first fruits. He wants our best. He wants our tithes and our offerings. And the same verse that's in Malachi, Malachi 3.10, where the Bible says, Bring you all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in my house, says this, And prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. I don't know about you. I want to take God up on that promise. I want to prove God in that promise. If I tithe, God promises I'll open the windows of heaven. Think about it. The windows of heaven. The Bible says, I have not seen nor ear heard the things that God hath prepared for them that love him. Those things in heaven. Uh, Paul went to heaven one time. He said, I don't know if I was in the body or outside of the body. I, but he went to heaven. He says, and, it's, and he says, it's unlawful for me to describe what I saw. We think we know about heaven. We don't know nothing about heaven. Yeah, we know that there's a street of gold. We know there's a gate of pearl. We know there's no night there. We're no, we know there's no pain. That's the tip of the iceberg. When you get to heaven, you've heard me say this before. When you get to heaven, when I get to heaven, we're just going to walk around with our mouth open. Wow. For hundreds of years. Wow. This is so much better than I thought. I mean, it's indescribable. And God says, if you're faithful in your tithing, giving him the 10%, the first fruit, I'll open you the windows of heaven, that place that is indescribable, that place that is filled with the blessings of God, and I'll pour you out a blessing. You won't have room to receive it. Now, I have to say this. Don't think that if you tithe, you're going to win the lotto. I've had, I had a person actually come to me one time and said, Preacher, you think if I tied and buy a lotto ticket, I'd be a millionaire? I said, I don't think so. The blessings of God are not always money. The blessings of God, in fact, the blessed, best blessings of God are usually not money. And so don't say, well, I'm going to give my tithe. Now the preacher says, the window, where, where, here it comes. My bank account is going to grow. That's not what that verse says. It says the blessings of God are going to fall and there'll be so many that you won't have room to receive it. And then number five, give God the best part of your heart. You see, in your heart, there's a throne. And somebody sits on that throne as the ruler of your life. You either sit on that throne or God does. In the book of Revelation, Chapter 3, verse 20, the Bible says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. Whether you're a Christian or not this morning, God is knocking on your heart's door. If you're not a Christian this morning, he knocks to bring salvation. You see, the Bible says all of us are sinners. There's none righteous, no, not one. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Some of you I don't know very well. And you you might say, preacher, how can you call me a sinner? I'm not calling you a sinner. God's calling you a sinner. You see, we can compare ourselves to each other. And we can probably find somebody a worse sinner than we are. And we can say, well, compared to that person, I'm not so bad. But God says, don't compare yourself to one another. Compare yourself to the glory of God. Compare yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ. When we compare ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ, we come up far short. 
And so if you're here this morning, you don't know Christ is your Savior, you're a sinner. There's a penalty for that sin. That penalty is to be separated from your Creator. Be separated from your God. You're separated while you live on this earth, and if you die separated from God, you go to hell and you're separated forever and ever and for all eternity. And we pictured it in the Lord's Supper this morning. Jesus Christ went to Calvary's cross. He took all of my sin and he took all of your sin. And he paid the price for our sin on Calvary. Listen, every one of our sins, all of them in their entirety, my sin not in part, but in whole, were nailed to the cross. And I bear them no more. Praise the Lord. That's what Jesus did for us. And he knocks at your heart door this morning, wanting to bring you salvation from the penalty of sin. Wanting to bring you a relationship with him and with God the Father. Wanting to give you a home in heaven. He knocks at your door this morning and says, let me come in. Let me come in. If you're a Christian here this morning, and I know the vast majority of us are, we've trusted Christ as our Savior. We've made that decision. He knocks on our heart door and says, hey, I want to sit on the throne. I want to sit on the throne. I, 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 I want to be the commander of your life. I want to be the Lord of your life. Now, sometimes we get stubborn in our Christianity and say, oh, no thank you, God. I can run my own life. I can sit on the throne of my life. I can make the decisions in my life. I can do I I, I do pretty well in running my life. Let me just reason with you for a minute. Who made you? Say, preacher, I wasn't made, I was born. No, you were made just as much as Adam and Eve were made in the Garden of Eden. You were made by God. You would not be here this morning if God did not want you here. Who made you? God did. God has a purpose for you. He made you for a purpose. You just weren't born and got up in heaven and says, oh, Brother Paul was just born. i got to figure out something for Brother Paul to do. That's not the way it works. God had a job to do. He designed Brother Paul. And today is Brother Paul Day. I'm picking on him. But he designed Brother Paul to do that job. Now, who do you think knows better how to run Brother Paul's life? Do you think Brother Paul does? Or do you think the one that made him for a specific task knows better? I'll tell you who I think. I think God knows better. I think not only does God know how to run Brother Paul's life better than Brother Paul does, I think God knows how to run my life better than I do. And I think God knows how to run your life better than you do. And so he knocks at the door. God doesn't knock like a Methodist. He knocks like a Baptist. Amen? Amen? He said, I want to come in. I want to come in. I want to sit on the throne of your life. Why shouldn't we let God do that? Why shouldn't we? He sent his very best. Sinless. Perfect. To die on the cross. Not for his sins. He was tempted in all points like as we. Yet without sin. He sent his very best. To die in our place. Why shouldn't we give him our best? We should. We should. Give God your best. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the instruction that it gives us. I pray this morning as we consider our life.
and what we're giving our best to. I pray, Father, that we would decide anew this morning to give our best to you. I pray that you would have the best part of our day, the best part of our life, the best part of our strength, the best part of our possessions, and the best part of our life. I pray, Father, if there's somebody here that's never given their life to Jesus Christ, never trusted him as their Savior, that right now, Holy Spirit, you would convict them of their sin, you would convict them of their need for a Savior, and you would have them come to Jesus this morning. I pray for the Christians that are here that that start to need in some area of their life, need to start giving God the best. Convict us, Holy Spirit. I pray that you would never have the occasion to say about any person here what you said about the priest, what you had Malachi write when he wrote, I have no pleasure in thee. I pray, Father, that we would be a people that would bring pleasure to our God. And we do that as we give him our best. And so, Father, bless this invitation. Holy Spirit, speak to hearts. If we need to decide something this morning, help us decide. If we need to uh, make that a public decision, help us to make it public. Just bless this time of invitation. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.